This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Thumbtack. Thumbtack.com matches you with the right local professionals for any project. Go to Thumbtack.com to find pros for everything from home improvement to event planning to personal wellness and more. That's Thumbtack.com. It's Wednesday, June 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and I'm joined in studio by Jason Moser from Million Dollar Portfolio and David Kretzman from Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova. Guys, welcome. Hey, Hey, Matt. Guys, we're going to talk some CarMax. We'll talk some Etsy. We'll talk some not-so-great news for Snapchat. But let's begin with Uber. On Tuesday, Uber founder and CEO Travis Kalanick resigned as CEO. Now, David, this is a story that's been playing out for a while. Kalanick under increasing pressure from investors and Uber's board, and he'll still be on the board. What's your take on the latest news? Well, what's that saying? We were talking about this saying before taping, that a fish rots from the head down. And I think that's really a lot of what these five major investors who sent a letter to Kalanick asking him to step down, I think that's what they recognized. Uber's culture has come under increasing scrutiny and pressure, just all sorts of different issues over the past six months or so. And that's tough to recover from, and Kalanick going through a lot of stuff in his personal life as well, with uh, one of his parents passing away very tragically and unexpectedly. So, just a lot of different things going on. And I think it makes sense to take a step back for Uber, if you're the board, and bring in some fresh leadership. And for those keeping track at home, now Uber is looking for a new CEO, chief operating officer, independent board chair, chief marketing officer, and general counsel, in addition to some other uh, high-level positions. So, they've got their work cut out for them, but I think this is the right move. Just after everything the company's been through and that Kalanick's been through, starting fresh is probably a good way to go. And Jason, when you look at the business of Uber, um, a lot of us are expecting an IPO in the in the near future. But what do you think about the business of Uber right now? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, fr- from the today's view, I mean, it's hard to get terribly excited because this is plainly a a company in crisis. I mean, it is a culture in crisis. They have really nobody leading the way. And I mean, I, I applaud Kalnick. For sort of stepping up there and just going ahead and biting the bullet here and taking um, the recommendation to go ahead and step down. I mean, I think this is this is the step they really needed to take is is to separate him completely from the company because it has just been one bad headline after another here for as long as we can really remember for a business that maybe a year ago we were just so excited about and talking about the opportunities that existed. It's worth remembering that yes, while it is a sort of a revolutionary. Uh, way of thinking and business model. It's also a business that chalks up very significant losses still, and and the market values this thing at somewhere in the neighborhood of sixty to sixty-five billion dollars. So when it goes public, if it goes public, I think we all assume it will. It's going to more than likely already be a very big company, which then means, okay, how how good of a return can we really expect with something like this? So that's certainly something you need to take into consideration. I think it's going to be crucial before any conversations had with regarding an IPO. They need to get their leadership in order. I mean, this is a company that is clearly it's a captain without a ship without a captain. I mean, they need to have someone making the calls here. And while we love to find businesses where founders are part of leadership, it's a nice quality to have. It's not something that means it's going to be a good investment. And I think in this case, clearly, uh, this was a company where Travis. He founded a great idea, founded a great company, but but he is not, I think, cut out to lead this company to the next step if they're going to live a public life. Because 
the scrutiny of the public markets, it just it it's never ending. It's relentless. And we've seen a lot of that recently, particularly. I think the Whole Foods is a really good example with that. Quarter in and quarter out. I mean, they just wouldn't let up on John Mackey on those calls, and for good reason. I have a feeling that that Uber would probably witness uh, something to that extent as well, and I think we're going to see um, a lot of that play out here on Snap, which we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, and it's worth noting, guys, that all the turmoil that's been playing out at Uber has really created an opening for Lyft. So they also yeah. have they also have competition. So questionable kind of industry business model, and you've got some competition. Yeah, and a year ago, I think a lot of people thought this was sort of a zero-sum game. I think between Uber and Lyft, they were thinking, one one company here is going to win this battle, and the other company is more or less just going to fade away into obscurity. Obviously, that's not the case. It does seem, perhaps, that there is room for both to to coexist, uh, but, but certainly Lyft seems like the the company that has its house in order versus versus Uber, which on the surface, it at least seems to be total chaos. And we haven't even talked about the whole self-driving car thing. If that becomes a mainstream thing in the next five years, is Uber going to be the dominant player, or is this potentially a company that could go public and then get disrupted within two or three years because of a new technology? I think Uber has a pretty good chance to be a leader with that that move to self-driving cars. They've been investing a lot in that, and a lot of that is due to Kalanick. He recognized that this is an essential thing for Uber to be on top of. Otherwise, the whole business model becomes moot pretty quickly once you do have autonomous vehicles. And I think Uber, the the advantage that Uber has now is in its algorithm, in the data that it has collected, because it is really the largest ride-sharing platform out there. So, just in terms of managing the logistics of picking up people and matching them to to drivers in, in the quickest way to get them from A to B, and now that they have Uber Pool, where you're matched up with other drivers who are generally going the same direction, as they fine-tune that, they could have an advantage from a data perspective compared to Lyft, which is much smaller and therefore has less data. So, bigger picture, I think Uber is still in a pretty good position, but it's a competitive space uh, from a consumer perspective, because it isn't that hard to delete Uber or just install Lyft or another app and get essentially an identical service. And then when you go Globally, you have a lot of regional and you know country-specific competitors offering a very similar service as well. Yeah, I think to his point, uh, I don't think this is a I don't think this is a market that elicits a lot of brand loyalty. Like I don't think anybody really cares whether it's Uber or Lyft. I think they just care about getting from point A to point B quickly, and they want that transaction to be as frictionless as possible. So when this all started, I mean, one of the great Things about Uber and and I've never taken Lyft, but I assume Lyft is essentially the same way. Is it's great. You get in the car, you go, and then you get out. It's all linked through your through your phone in the app, and you pay with your credit card. So there's no transaction taking place, but there's no friction really there in waiting for your car to be approved or figuring out how much you should tip your driver. And I recently saw where Uber now is going to actually allow tipping. I'm kind of conflicted there. I mean, I'm, I'm I believe in tipping. I like being able to tip well because having worked in the service industry before, I understand it's a difficult job. But man, that really runs counter to what was so great about Uber in the first place. There's just no awkward transaction taking place. So we're seeing that space change a little bit. I I just don't think this is a space that elicits a lot of brand loyalty, and and that's where I think it'd be a big challenge for Uber if they just if they don't address this soon and get leadership in order and really move this business forward, they could lose. Uh, a decent bit of market share to Lyft or anyone else wants to jump in there and try to to take some some share. 
And let's stick to the subject of cars, the theme of cars. Jason Carmax up today on better than expected earnings. What's going on at CarMax? Yeah, generally thinking, I think CarMax has done a really good job at taking an otherwise extremely fragmented industry, kind of mom and pop used car you know, shops all over the country and city to city. They're all very fragmented industry. And now, now CarMax has brought sort of this national identity to it. And you drive along any interstate and you'll look over to your right or to your left and you'll see this just massive CarMax campus out there with thousands and thousands of used cars. Uh, it's built a very valuable network, I think, from coast to coast. And, and they've made buying a used car, um, I think, a bit simpler than really. Uh, Consumers have been used to in the past, and so from that perspective, I think it's working out really well for them. Uh, used unit sales in comparable stores this past quarter were up over eight um, percent, and they are recognizing some ta- they recognize some tailwinds here in this first quarter from uh, tax refunds that that didn't really play out in the fourth quarter. I think the bigger picture, though. The thing that concerns me, at least with CarMax, there are a lot of forces at play that sort of dictate how this business is going to work. I mean, it, it's it's the general health of the consumer and the economy, uh, it's interest rates, it's the automakers, right? How many automakers out there right now are offering all of these great incentives for you to walk off of their lot with a brand new car? Um, and and then you're seeing sort of this situation where CarMax is witnessing a lower supply of used cars uh, from that seven to nine year ago period when when the the auto market was was sort of uh, facing some challenges there. So a lower supply of used cars coupled with automakers offering great incentives to buy new cars. Those are challenges that that CarMax has to has to deal with, and the stock has been a bit challenged here recently. But but management's very smart; they're doing a good job, I think, buying back shares with with uh, the stock really not performing so hot. Uh, this is a business that still has, I think, a big network, which is a big advantage. Um, it's just yeah, autos are really really difficult. <laughs> well, speaking of difficult, Etsy. David, let's talk some Etsy. Etsy's planning to lay off fifteen percent of its workforce. Now, for those who don't know, Etsy is an online marketplace for homemade goods and crafts. And David, it seems like the one thing they've had a hard time crafting is a business model. Ooh, Mac, the old nice. Simon Pond nicely nice done. Here. Nicely Ladies done. and gentlemen, Simon Erickson. <laughs> I think we should just Mac wrap up the show Thank there. That, let's go <laughs> home. Drop the mic. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a tough, you know, six weeks or so of, of transition for Etsy because they actually. When they reported first quarter results in uh, the beginning of May, they actually laid off a portion of their workforce at that point. So, collectively, between those layoffs and this next round of layoffs, uh, they'll be cutting their work workforce in half by uh, uh, more than 20%. About 22% of their workforce will be eliminated. But really, what this is getting back to is refocusing the company on driving the total value of the stuff sold on the platform. So, gross merchandise sold only increased 14% in the first quarter. And the, the bulk of the revenue growth for a while now is, hasn't been coming from the, the value of the items sold on the platform. It's primarily been coming from the seller services, the different uh, software and other services that Etsy provides to the entrepreneurs and sellers on its platform. And they also, as part of that early May announcement, they they switched CEOs. The longtime CEO stepped down, and uh, they brought in a new CEO, and and he's really just focused on driving that gross merchandise sold uh, on the platform, refocusing on that core marketplace. 
I think there's still a lot to like with Etsy. They do something that Amazon and eBay aren't really doing as far as selling the handmade, vintage, really personalized goods. So I think there is a space for kind of that online craft fair model. They have almost two million sellers, about thirty million buyers. So there is something there, but it, they at this point they need to figure out a way to drive that uh, the, the total value of the merchandise sold on the platform. This is a step to move that direction. I got some homemade fool hats on Etsy like two years ago for Supernova, and they put stars on the jester cap, and it was incredible. So my one Etsy experience has been great, but I'm just not sure. That's You've had one more Etsy experience than I have. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So ah. so so David. The stock are you are you bullish, bearish, or somewhere in between? I'm still bullish for the for the most part. This wasn't wouldn't be the type of stock that I make a large position in a portfolio, but uh, it, it is a, a company that we've recommended in Rule Breakers within the past year. Or so, all in all, they're still in a fairly healthy financial position. I like that they'll be able to operate in a more nimble fashion now, just refocusing their employees on the stuff that really matters for the company and driving that core marketplace. But they're still guiding for sales to grow between 23 to 25% over the next couple of years. They have net cash position of over $260 million. So, all in all, pretty good financial shape, and I think they'll be able to work through these issues. But again, I wouldn't make this a large position. It's still a fairly volatile, risky one at this point. And three years from now, are they still a standalone company, or have they been acquired? I wouldn't be surprised if they're acquired. I, I hope that they, they are um, you know, still standalone, but it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if someone snaps them up. Well, guys, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to Thumbtack.com for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Thumbtack makes it easy to find and hire skilled local professionals for any project on your to-do list. No more sifting through millions of search results. Thumbtack will help you find the right professionals that are available when you need them and within your budget. Thumbtack has pros offering more than 1,100 different services nationwide for your home, events, or anything in between. Wedding seasons, outdoor parties, backyard projects, pool cleaning, power washing, tree trimming, lawn mowing, guys, all that stuff Thumbtack provides. Submitting a request is quick, simple, and free. Just answer a few questions about what you're looking for. Within 24 hours of submitting your request, you'll have up to five estimates from local pros that match your criteria. Download the app or go to Thumbtack.com to find and hire local skilled pros for just about anything you need. That's Thumbtack.com. Yeah, before we go on, Mac, I just want to call out uh, one of our dozens of listeners here, Market Foolery, Motley Fool Money, longtime fool, uh, David Dubois, uh, sent us a very thoughtful care package here recently, and I just wanted to uh, say thanks. It was it was a, a care package of some, some great craft beer from his home state of Maine, his favorite brewers in Maine. Mac, he knows that Chris is a bourbon drinker, not a beer drinker. So unfortunately, Chris is not going to be able to partake in this with us. Uh, but but we have we have put aside one of those beers specifically for you for stepping up to the mic today, for stepping into the saddle on Friday. We'll uh, we'll uh, share one maybe on Friday after we're done. I love it, and I think all our listeners should send more beer to Chris. <laughs> well, it's wonderful, <laughs> wonderful tribute, and we can't really, I can't thank David enough. It was a very thoughtful gift and a thoughtful note he included in there. So, David, thank you very much. Okay, guys, our final story. Jason, I'm calling this more bad news for Snapchat. Facebook's Instagram Stories feature has grown to 250 million users now. To put that in perspective, that compares to 166 million users for Snap. And in related news, Snap now trading below its IPO price. So, what do you make of Facebook, Instagram Stories, 
and Snapchat. I'm trying to come up with an appropriate red flag joke here. I mean, it's I'm not sure. It's like you could give it like the old Dennis Miller. I don't know. It's got more red flags than a major league soccer team at a Nirvana concert or something. I don't know. But there are a lot of red flags, I think, here with Snap that investors need to be extremely concerned about. And I'm not saying that these guys can't pull a rabbit out of a hat at some point and, and perform and, and really take advantage of, of some market opportunity that may be out there. But today, I mean, when you look at what Snapchat is and what Snap is trying to do as a company and becoming a camera company, Here's the thing. I mean, until I see that ghost everywhere with the Twitter bird and the Facebook logo and the Instagram logo and the yeah. YouTube logo, until I see that ghost, like it is as commonly as those other, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand the case for this thing. Uh, it's a great little messaging platform. It sounds like it does what it does pretty well for a certain niche audience, and that's fine. But there are some genuine questions as to how far these guys can actually take this business based on that one app alone. Uh, it is clearly not a platform for the masses, and I think that's going to be a major point of concern here for advertisers as they try to figure out how to how to work Snapchat into into their opportunity, so to speak. And so when I you know, I look at Snapchat and think, man, it's so easy for Facebook to just go ahead and copy what they're doing and immediately roll it out to a billion people, and that really shows you the power of that of that advantage in Facebook's platform, whether it's WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, or whatever else. Having a billion users, I mean, that really sort of clarifies Zuckerberg's point in saying, once we hit a billion users, then we know we're at this just sort of critical mass where we can pretty much do anything we want, and it's not going to cost us much of anything to do at all. So, how do they get around that? Because there is that that joke or that line that that face that Snap is essentially just R and D for Facebook, right? So, to your point, if they have something at Snap that works, Facebook says, "Hmm, that's interesting." We will do that now. Yeah, I think that that's really the the big hurdle for Snapchat to to figure out because at this point, it doesn't take long at all for Facebook to to copy the features that that Snapchat rolls out, uh, and and the question is, can Snapchat stay ahead of, of Facebook? And up to this point, uh, they haven't really made a compelling case to to investors that that they can do that sustainably. One thing that they do have going for it is that stories isn't the only aspect of Snap. There is a lot more to the Snapchat app, but uh, to see Instagram gaining steam and actually accelerating the user growth for uh, Instagram stories, it, it took them two months to add these last 50 million users. The previous 50 million users took three months. So Instagram stories is actually seeing accelerating growth, while Snapchat's quarter over quarter growth is actually decelerating. So. A lot of work for for Snap. They they recently announced a, a deal with Time Warner for original content, but again, that's something that Facebook and virtually every social media company is doing at this point. So, whether or not they can find some formula where they can sustainably stay ahead of, of Facebook and Instagram, uh, that's that's the the big question, and there's not a clear answer. My favorite part of Snap is the ghost that you referred to, Jason. So, I'm my question is as we wrap things up. Any chance that Facebook just takes the ghost? <laughs> I try. <laughs> I doubt that's the case, but maybe, maybe they maybe they develop like a logo for a phantom or something like that. It's the Facebook phantom. I think it would be a good move. I, I mean, yeah, you got You got There could be some trademark issues. There are going to be. I mean, Snap is going to have to figure out a way to be more, and that's something where Facebook really. They, Zuckerberg had the wherewithal early on 
to say, okay, we need to be more than just Facebook, and hence the Instagram acquisition and the WhatsApp acquisition. We're going to need to see Snap figure out a way to become something more. And a camera company ain't going to cut it. I mean, we've seen this play out a million different times. Hardware is ultimately a race to the bottom. And so, whether they're talking about figuring out ways to sort of interact with cameras or bring some sort of interface there to make it sort of a different augmented experience, that remains to be seen. And again, I mean, there are reasons to believe that perhaps they could do something and this is a business that has a future. But the red flags that we're talking about, I mean, the ownership structure there from a shareholder's perspective, it sucks. I mean, you have zero say so. And, and and they flat out put that out there immediately. They didn't even consider saying, "Hey, you know, we want to be shareholder friendly." They're they're not shareholder friendly. That's a big problem. There's no clear path to profitability. It's going to take them a really long time to do that. User growth is slowing. They have no proven sustainable moat or advantage in this line of work. So you have to consider the price here, man. Tell me it's more. It's forty times sales, <laughs> Mac. Forty times. You compare that to something like TripAdvisor, where admittedly they're having some issues in sort of making a business model transition, but that's a business that's growing, it's profitable, the platform's super engaged, more users than Snapchat, and that thing's trading at like four times sales. So there's this huge disparity there. That's why we always say price always matters, and it's Snap. It's not to say don't ever invest in Snap, but man, I think you want to wait till these guys actually demonstrate some sustainable success before you consider dropping some money in here. Because I'm standing by, man. This thing gets cut in half from today's level before it starts getting better. Okay, so it sounds like when I see the ghost, I should be scared. <laughs> <laughs> Turn and run, run the other way. Okay, Jason, David, thanks for joining me. Thanks, thanks. Max. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.